0: That Jesus Christ
1: Hey Ashlyn, I know service hasn't started just yet, but if I could get your attention just for a couple minutes, I'd like to review with you some of the things that are coming up in your church family. One of the exciting parts of summer is something we're going to try totally new. Starting on June the 7th and extending through the remainder of the summer, we are going to host community groups around the city. We're gonna alternate Wednesdays. Some Wednesdays we'll meet together here at the church and the other Wednesdays will be in host homes where we have strategically requested these homes to be open so that we can continue Bible study and relationship building together. All the adults, all of the teens and all of the kids will all meet together in these host homes for prayer and for Bible study and fellowship. Let me encourage you whether Wednesday night is normally part of your routine or not, please consider joining up in a community group. We have one here in Norwood. We have one in Westchester, one in Eastgate, and one in Northern Kentucky. And hopefully one of those will be convenient for you to get to Wednesdays starting at 6.30. Our study is by Tony Evans. It's called Kingdom Agenda, and I promise you that you'll enjoy it. So swing by the Connect Center, register on the iPad, or if you don't have time to do that, visit our website at ashlandavenue.org, or you can check us out on our church app and all those places. You can learn more about what's taking place and register there. Hey all you guys, all of you that are in the auditorium, all the guys that are online with us right now, hear me out. On June the 2nd, we're gonna have a cornhole tournament that I wanna invite all of you to be a part of. For just $10, you can come out, take bags filled with corn and throw it at boards with holes cut out on it, and we're going to have a competition to see who can do it best. Not just that, but I promise you, the food is worthy enough of you being a part of this event. So whether you register as an individual, or you want to grab a partner and register as a team, we'd encourage all of the guys to come and be a part of this. You can visit us at ashlandavenue.org. You can swing by the Connect Center, or you can check us out again on the app and register. Let us know you're coming. You can pay that way as well. And we'll look forward to having all of our Ashland men together June the 2nd at 6.30 p.m. Thank you for letting me have just a couple minutes of your time as we begin to worship together. Let me remind you that we are on social media, so you can check us out on Facebook, on Instagram. If you have an Android or an iPhone, we have a church app that's available to you for free as well. And always, we have ashlandavenue.org as our website. Swing by there, learn more about what's taking place, and you can also pay and register for upcoming events. And as always, Ashland, have a blessed Sunday.
2: folds, each fold a reminder of a life spent in service. Service to country, service to people, protecting God-given rights, preserving freedoms. 13 folds. At each fold, we remember the friends and family left behind the mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, sons and daughters left to pick up the pieces. Thirteen folds. And we remember the scriptures. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Each one loved greatly. We also remember that Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And today we pray, God be near those who need comfort. So, draw close to those who mourn. Make your presence and appreciation known. Let this church be a safe place, a comforting place and let us honor those who have given their lives in service to this country. Thirteen folds to signify a life given to service. Amen.
1: Okay, listen, folks, I know that there's a lot of people traveling and stuff, but that does not mean that we can't be a little more excited about being in church. So, round number two, um, I'm certain we can top that one easily. Good morning! Good morning! All right, thank you, very good. Hey, this morning, before we begin worship, um, we do want to recognize the fact that this is Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Many will exchange the pleasantry of Happy Memorial Day. Maybe you've said that, maybe you've heard that. And the sentiment of that statement is dead on. Um, But for many, this weekend is not a happy occasion whatsoever. And that some it might be a looking forward just to a three day weekend. For some, it might be um, trips to the to the beach. Apparently, people do that on Memorial Day weekend. For some, it's gathering together with family and friends for a cookout. For others, it might just be enjoying a day off doing absolutely nothing. But the sentiment of the statement, Happy Memorial Day, may be accurate, but at the same time, for many, the reality is not. Memorial Day was established to be a day of remembrance. It's a, it's a day of mourning those who died in battle. It used to be called Decoration Day. Uh, and the day was pronounced a day of mourning for those who died in battle. And it was for the purpose of strewing with flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in the defense of their country during the late rebellion and whose bodies now lie in almost every city, every village, every hamlet in the churchyard in the land. So today, some families are even traveling from cemetery to cemetery to show honor, to remember, and to decorate um, the gravesides. But I want to remind you this morning that we join with them in remembering the thousands of men and women who have given their very lives for the freedoms we enjoy as a nation. And if it had not been for them, who knows, we might not even be able to meet together today enjoying the freedoms as Christians that we do. Not everyone in the world has the privileges that we enjoy here, and I wanna recognize that this morning. Much of it is because of the fact that we had those that sacrifice to secure the freedoms that we are celebrating. So this morning, what I'd like to do is this. Would you pause with me just for a moment, and let's remember, Over 1.1 million people who have given their lives sacrificially on the battlefield, dating all the way back from the Revolutionary War to the current war on global terror. And today we honor and we thank those men and their women and the women who have given their all for us. So let me do this. If you are here this morning and you are a family member or a relative of someone who um who served in the military, but has since passed away. Can I ask you to stand? Let me say that again. If you have a relative who served in the military, but has since passed away, would you please stand? Now, I want you to look around for just a moment. I want you to see the folks that are standing. Every person, I don't know how many people, there may be multiple in each of these families that have have passed away, but served in the military. What an amazing representation. Now you're understanding 1.1 million people have affected generations to come. And so for those of you that are standing, we join with you and we celebrate and we are thankful for the sacrifice that has been made on our behalf. And also this morning, we join with people like Danny Wright, who weekly, if not more often, stand at the gravesides honoring those veterans who have passed away. And with him, we thank them. And this morning, we honor their sacrifice, we honor the service to our great country. And can I say this, all politics aside, we still live in the greatest country on the face of this earth. And I wanna remind you of the, the fact that we have the greatest freedoms, and you may not believe that, just go somewhere else and you'll quickly be reminded how great it is here. We're not excited about the decoration, the decoration, the, the, the direction of our country, but we are excited to be able to name this country as home. And so today we celebrate, we thankfully remember those who have given their lives to secure and to protect the freedoms that we enjoy. So with those that are standing, would you join me in standing before we go into worship? I'd like to pause and have a word of prayer, and then we'll go into our worship this morning. Let's pray together, and let's thank God for the awesomeness of this country. Let's thank God as we remember those who have given their lives to serve our great country. Father, we are thankful to be able to begin our worship this way. God, we are not here to worship a country. We are not here to worship um, the place that we call home. God, we're here to worship you, but Lord, the freedom to do so has been secured and provided by those 1.1 million plus individuals who fought and gave their lives, dating back centuries now to the present. So God, this morning, we remember those sacrifices. We remember The fact that they they gave the ultimate gift. The Bible says there there is no greater love than the willingness and the ability to give our lives for someone else. And so God, this morning, we thank you for the fact that we get to call this country home. Lord, we admit, we we readily admit that it is not perfect, it is not without issue. God, there are a lot of, of directional problems that we have, biblical problems that we see on the horizon if not more present. But God, that does not negate the fact that we still live in the greatest country in the face of this earth. So Lord, we thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy. We thank you for those who, who went on before, who, who gave their lives again to provide for us the freedoms that we enjoy today. So Lord, we commit this time to you. Lord, may we find ourselves throughout the day, maybe throughout tomorrow, just with a, a heart of gratitude for those, even those that stood this morning as a representation of, of family members who served in the military who have passed away. And so, God, we don't lose sight of the, of the purpose of this weekend. But, Lord, now as we go into worship, may our hearts be directed towards, towards you. God, again, we are here to, to worship you. We're here to hear from you. And, God, I pray that our worship might be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. And for all of these things, we commit this time to you. We ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: and we won't be quiet we shout out your praise there's joy in the house of the lord our god is surely in this place we won't be quiet we shout out your praise we shout out your praise We sing to the God who heals, we sing to the God who saves, we sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross, and he rose up from that grave, my God's still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. we won't be quiet we shout out your praise there's joy in the house of the lord our god is surely in this place but we won't be quiet we shout out now we're running free we are forgiven accepted redeemed by his grace let the house of the lord sing praise we were the best Praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in his place. But we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. i song. You are the well, the one I'm drawing from. You are my refuge, my whole life long. Where else would I go? Surely my God is the strength of my soul. Your love defends me Your love defends me And when I feel like I'm all alone Your love defends me Your love defends me Yeah Day after day Night after night I will remember you're with me in this fight, although the battle, it rages on, the war's already won. I know the war's already won, surely my God is the strength of my soul, you're Me and when I feel like I'm all alone, your love defends me. Your love defends me. We sing. soul. Your love defends me. Your love defends me. And when I feel like I'm all alone. Your love defends me. Your love defends me. Surely my God is the strength of my soul. Your love defends. And when I feel like I'm all alone, your love defends me, your love defends me, we sing that Jesus Christ has won I will overcome. I don't know what you're doing, but I know. I'll say that it is well oh I know that it is well because I'm
1: if you are fifth grade and below, you are dismissed now to head to junior church. If you would like to, head back to the back. Looks like uh, the Bivens are going to be with you this morning. And if you are staying in here, I'm going to ask you to go to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. Um, we're going to start kind of towards the end of chapter 16, so I'll give you, give you a minute to find that. And uh, we are starting a few things you should be aware of this morning and i'm excited about these and, and that last song that jonathan just said hey can i say this by the way um we're going to use the people in our church like it or not and uh that's not true that, that i said that totally wrong i'm excited for um, the people that are willing to serve in our church especially even if it's a teenager who's willing to take drum lessons and play And so if we can't, there you go. I don't know where she went. She did a fantastic job. And it's not easy. Listen, you people are intimidating. I don't know if you realize that or not. But getting up in front of you is not easy. And uh, Adriana, Adriana, you're over here. Ariana is over here. You've only been playing for, I don't know, a year and a half. Has it been that long? A year and a half. So she's um, never played the drums in front of people, I don't believe, until this morning. And so um, we're going to. I mean, we're going to, if you have talents and gifts, you better hide them under your hat or something because we are all for using them around here. But I'm thankful for people that are willing to go out of their comfort zone a little bit and to serve. And so that was a first for Ariana. And uh, make sure you tell her what a good job she did because she really did. I know they have practiced hard um, to get ready for those three songs. And uh, so not only is that a f- uh, one of the first, but as you, again, go to 1 Kings 16, um, here's another thing Memorial Day, at least the weekend, is the unofficial first day of or first weekend of summer. But I also want to tell you this, another first, today marks the first episode of our church's podcast and uh, content that we'll be uploading on YouTube. We'll be doing that this afternoon and we really have a heart for getting listen, church, we are in a day where information is a disaster. Uh, it's hard to discern what's right and what's wrong and it's hard to discern how to filter what we are seeing in our country through a biblical lens and and again, I only get an hour with you, tops, on a, on a Sunday morning for many of us, and just don't have the time in that hour to really do what the Bible calls us to do and equip us for the work of the ministry the other six days of the week. And so the goal in this podcast, and it'll be on YouTube as well, is just to help us look through the lens of Scripture and know how it is that God would have us to think about what we see around us. and really have a big burden for this and uh, so we're going to record the first one today hopefully have it available very very soon so that's a first and not only that but this morning starts a new series uh, a summer series that we're going to do um, on the life of elijah and that last song that they just played really is the theme if you want to apply one if if elijah was to have a a walk-up song in baseball that would have been it Um, because there's no other song that better describes um, a man than that one that we just sang. And so as we get into our character study, I wanna get, this is gonna be an introductory kind of sermon, okay? It's gonna provide for us the backdrop to help us understand what it is that Elijah is walking into. And so historically speaking, there's a lot of things that we have to understand. When we get to First Kings chapter 16, for 120 years, Israel has lived under the reign of three different kings. One by the name of Saul, one by the name of David, and then after David came his son Solomon. None of those guys were perfect, yet they were great in their own unique ways. Now at the end of Solomon's life, civil war broke out in Israel. It divided the nation of Israel into two different kingdoms, one of the north and one of the south. The one of the north consisted of of 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. Do the math, the one of the south would have consisted of two. The northern kingdom took on the name of Israel. The southern kingdom took on the name of Judah. This is going to be important. Because as you go through the book of 1 Kings, if we don't know that distinction, it's going to get really confusing when we start talking names and leaders, forgetting that the, the nation of Israel has now divided. Now, the northern kingdom would have 19 kings spanning just over 200 years, and every one of those 19 kings were awful they were wicked godless kings 19 back-to-back leaders who first kings 15 says this that every one of them did evil in the sight of the lord now the southern kingdom would have 17 leaders spanning over about 300 years eight of the leaders the bible says followed the lord their god but nine of them were wicked and did not either serve nor walk with god And so as we get into 1 Kings 16, our focus is going to look at the north. We're going to look at Israel specifically. And in chapter 16, verse 29, here's what we find. And in the 30 and 8th year of Asa, king of Judah, the southern kingdom, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel, that northern kingdom. See where the divide is necessary to understand? Or one verse is going to be incredibly confusing. So the north is going to be ruled by Ahab, the son of Omri. The southern kingdom is ruled by Asa, the king of Judah. And here's what the rest of the verse says. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel, northern kingdom, in the city of Samaria for 22 years. Now here's what the history books remember this king Ahab for. Chapter 16, verse 30. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. So it begs the question then, who were the guys before him? Uh, How bad were they? I mean, when you think of a cumulative statement like that, was it really that bad? Was he really that terrible leader? Were were the leaders that precede him, were they really that bad? Or is this just kind of a a blanket statement about his reign that's just trying to prove a point? Well, the major milestone that Ahab is accused of and, and allegedly guilty of was awful as well now i want you to hear the stellar leadership that preceded his reign you you with me we're going to kind of work our way backwards now ahab had a dad his name was omri you know what the bible said about omri it said this that he was worse than the kings before him So this is a snowball effect that's being passed on from leader to leader to leader. And Omri, here's what the Bible says about him, mainly was uh, leadering, (laughs) there's a great word. We're, We're starting really well. He was leading the country in a direction that would consist of worshiping idols. Well, Omri, if you go back, the king before him, he was a man by the name of Zimri. How did he get the throne? Well, he got there because he murdered who was the current king of Israel. His name was Elah. And not only did he kill the current king, but he also would murder his entire family so that no one would even have the ability to assume the throne and somehow compete with him. Zimri's reign lasted, you get this, for a total of seven days before the pressure of what he did got the best of him and he would take his own life. Well, who was the king that he murdered to take the spot? Well, he was named by the king of Elah. His name was King Elah. What was he guilty of? Idol worship. Man, that's going to be a consistent theme in Israel's life. Well, who, who was before Elah? His name was Basha. What did he do? He assassinated Nadab, who was the current king at that time, to get the throne. And not only did he do that, but he too was guilty of idol worship. Well, before him was a man by the name of Nadab. He only reigned for two years and was really, really successful at leading Israel into a deep, sinful state. And then right before Nadab was a man by the name of Jeroboam. That name might ring a bell. Jeroboam was promised great blessings if he followed the Lord, but he decided against it when he concocted these these golden calves for all of Israel to worship. Now hear me. In the northern kingdom, now in 1 Kings 16, with Ahab at the helm... The sum of all of that wickedness snowballs into Ahab, and he topped them all if you took them all and combined them. This is not a complimentary statement whatsoever about the leadership of Ahab. And just when you think, well, how could it get any worse? I mean, it seems like this is kind of rock bottom for Israel. You look at verse number 31 of our text. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing. Like, This didn't bother Ahab one bit for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshiped him. Okay, so now you're thinking, why is this such a big deal? We understand Ahab, not a good guy, horrible leader, godless country that he is leading. Why is this a big deal? Well, not only was his leadership awful, but apparently his taste in women not so much better. Ahab was doing just fine being awful on his own, but now compounding the problem is his recent marriage to one of, if not the most wicked woman ever listed on the pages of Scripture. Her name was Jezebel. What I want to ask you this morning, do you find the name of her being mentioned interesting at all? Why why is that such an important thing? Why? Well, if you think about it, let me ask you this. Who was King Omri's wife? In the verses that we, we kind of glazed over, does the Bible ever mention King Omri's wife? And the answer is, I'll tell you, no mention of her. Well, what if we go back a little bit more into history? Does the Bible ever mention King Zimri's wife? What was her name? Can I tell you? I have no idea what her name was. The scriptures do not outline and do not detail for us the names of the wives of the kings that led prior to Ahab. So that tells me that Jezebel must have been something special to get her name recorded in scripture. Well, here, I wanna tell you two things. What did she do that we're gonna find was not um, not the greatest companion for Ahab? Here you go. Number one, in the relationship between Jezebel and Ahab, Jezebel wore the pants, if you know what I mean. Now, some of us in here, we wear the pants, right, guys? But our wives still pick them out. We understand how that works in a marriage relationship. We get that. But in this situation, Jezebel was the real leader. Ahab was just a a puppet, and she held the strings. Jezebel ruled Ahab and in effect, she ruled the entire northern kingdom of Israel. But not only that, but Jezebel initiated Baal worship. The worship of the false god Baal did not enter into the hearts of the Israelites until Ahab married her. Baal was the god of a lot of different things. He was the god of fertility, the god of seasons, the god of rain, the god of crops, the god of land. And so what does Ahab do? He constructs an altar so that false worship would come and bow before that altar. And I wish we had time, and, and I chose against it because it's not really the most um, appropriate thing I'm supposed to share on a Sunday morning. Some of the barbaric sacrifices that were offered on that altar to Baal. So you find in verse 33 now, how did God respond to all of this? So Ahab, awful awful leader, the snowball, the, the cumulative total of all of the leaders prior. He marries somebody that's not helping the cause whatsoever. What was God's response? Look at verse 33. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings that were before him. So think, listen, not only was he worse than all of the kings, in summary, but also he invited God's wrath on Israel more than any prior king that's been listed so far. Now, can I ask you something real quick? Have we painted a good enough picture about how bad Ahab was? Is that, I mean, we could go farther. But up to this point, the northern kingdom of Israel, especially when applied to the leadership, consisted of murders, idolatry, wickedness, darkness, and hear me on one more thing, division. And God is rightfully angry. Can I ask you does that does that sound familiar at all some of those descriptive terms? Listen we we acknowledge and we want to remember this morning and we certainly do not diminish the freedoms that we enjoy in this country but I did mention at the outset of our of our service today the direction of our country is alarming. The the targeted attack on our children is scary. And while we do live in the greatest country in this world, there is some parallel that can be drawn between the condition of the Northern Kingdom of Israel and the condition of our country right now. Our country's murder rate is on the rise. It seems like in our country, we literally worship anything but God. Wickedness pervades even into the lives of innocent children who are being exposed to degenerate sexual practices and ideologies. Not that far from Baal if you were to do some history study there. Darkness is in the headlines for crying out loud. It's almost a waste of time if you want to be encouraged by any headline that's available. Division is literally everywhere. We are dividing about everything and I want you to hear me well, God is not pleased with what he sees when he observes his creation. So the question has to be, how do we respond? I wanna tell you there's really one of two choices on the shelf that you could pull down and take for yourself. Number one, when you realize the wickedness of our world, we can either evade the world or we can invade the world. The choice is ours. We can evade, we can hide from it, we can pretend it's not happening, we can, we can stick our head in the proverbial sand and pretend like it's all gonna be fine, everything's gonna be fine, we're all fine, but in reality, folks, we're not getting fine and we're not getting finer, and it's not fine when you see the wickedness of our world. It's not okay. Or the alternative is we can invade, we can influence, we can do something about it. I am convinced that our world does not need any more Christians who simply want to evade the culture, but wants to invade it with the truth of God's word. And there's gotta be a judgment call that we make, but I want you to understand, if you wanna stand on the side of the scriptures, it's time to stop being so concerned about the reception of the truth and be more concerned about the giving of the truth. I mean, what did God call Christians to be? What does this have anything to Elijah we're going to we'll get there. But what has God called Christians to be in Matthew chapter five remember God has called Christians to be two things. What are they I've got them right in front of me just so you can be reminded and I can remind myself we are called to be light and salt that we have a specific illustration that was given to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. It's on the screen before you that says this You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt is lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It's thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden underfoot. You're the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill. What happens to it? It can't be hid. And the problem is this, one thing is true about salt in life, one thing that they both have in common is, when bottled up, they're useless. Now, I know, I believe this to be true, in in the School of Culinary Arts, that it is sometimes considered to be um, rude or inappropriate to salt your food before you taste it, but how many of you are guilty of that? Like when Okay, so some people, I'm looking at my children because we had this discussion last night at the table. It is considered to be rude to the chef to salt your food before you taste it. The assumption is what? That the chef has messed up or has not made it to your liking. Where are my salt lovers this morning? Like you salt ice cream all the way down. So they're, they're there. Okay, it happens. I don't know, I don't like meatloaf. You salt your meatloaf. There's two problems with that statement, salt and meatloaf. (laughs) I'm just just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but, I mean, how many of you, like, you salt ice cream, you salt all of this different stuff. You you salt it. But here's the thing. If you get served meatloaf and you want to put the salt on it, sitting there holding a salt shaker serves no purpose. It's not going to better the meatloaf. You have to take the salt and apply it. Man, this is so elementary. I understand you you get this point, but you've got to see where we're going. Same thing is true about a light bulb. If you do not attach this bulb to some source of power, this bulb is totally useless in my hand concerning the administration of light to a room. I have a salt shaker this morning. But I want you to remember, this salt will not flavor. It will not preserve anything as long as it is contained in this bottle. I have a light bulb, and this light bulb will not light up a room until it is connected to a power source. It serves no purpose. Where we're getting at this morning is I believe, if we're not already there, that Christians in 2023 are often salt shakers and light bulbs that have no desire to be emptied out for the betterment of others. We can complain until we're blue in the face about the stupidity of Target. Now, some of you, you're already ready to walk out. I'm I'm offending you because I mentioned Target in church. Post about it, whine about it all we want. But if we're not willing to engage a culture with why we believe such behaviors and associations are wrong, biblically, here we are. We're just salt and we're light. And listen, we can turn it on in church, man. We can sound like salt. We can look like light when we're in this room. But the other six days of the week, we have no interest in pouring out our salt and shining our light to the world that really needs it. I don't know about you, but when I get to the study on Elijah, I'm a little amped up about this one. Because I, like you, am am immensely concerned and super scared about the furthering of this country in the direction that it's going. But I have no right and no ability to whine and to complain if I'm not willing to do. So. So you think about the modern day Christian. Yeah, in church, we have great music. In church, we have building programs. In church, we are seeing growth. But did you realize this morning, none of those things are biblical mandates that we are given as a church? Not a crazy thought, but you have to have music. Yeah, show me in the Bible where God commands that a church has worship music and service. But but we should be growing 100%. We should and we are and we're thankful for that. But that's not a building or that's not a, that's not a biblical mandate. Do you realize this morning that growth is a mandate of God, not of us? Our mandate is to be the salt and the light of the earth. Our mandate is to evangelize the lost by invading the dark with the with the light of the gospel. And I am convinced this morning that we are in a position where, even in this church, my prayer is this summer that we would experience revival, that we would not be content with the the direction of our country, that we would not be content with the direction of individual souls who are so confused by the disaster of this world that we do not engage them with the truth of the gospel. But can I tell you this morning, revival is not something we start. It is not a four-day service at a college. Revival is not something, look at it biblically, revival is not something any individual can kickstart. Revival is what God does. And evangelism is what man does. I'm gonna tell you this, revival always, and time will tell, revival always produced. The spreading of the gospel like wildfire. All right. Now we get to Elijah. Right? Well, what is that? That's like a crazy rant. It really wasn't. Hang on. Remember the condition of the northern kingdom of Israel. They were, they were heading in a they were they were circling the drain. So here's how this goes down. Look at chapter number 17 and verse number two. And the Bible says this, nope, I said the wrong chapter, verse 1, there you go, thank you. And Elijah the Tishbite, who is in the inhabitants of Gilead, Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be any dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So this is how this Elijah character is introduced to us. The first time we see Elijah even mentioned in scripture, it is confronting the wickedness of of Ahab. As the Lord God lives before whom I stand, there's not going to be any dew or rain these years, but according to my word. So what is he saying? Why is that a big deal? Well, we need to understand that Elijah's announcement may seem insignificant. It's not a big deal, it's just rain and dew, who cares? But I want to remind you, this is a very severe judgment that Elijah is pronouncing on Israel. No rain equals no produce into an economy that is driven by agriculture. This is the equivalent. You ready for this? This is the equivalent of an economic shutdown. If we were to fast forward to our world today, this is what it might look like. It would mean there would be no gas at the gas stations, no food at the grocery stores, no money to withdraw from the banks, No electricity at home. Life as we know it would be over if a parallel judgment was cast out. People would be starving. Unemployment would skyrocket. Death would be everywhere. And that's what's reeling through the mind of Ahab now. It's not just, oh, it's just rains, just do. It's not that simple. This is a very complex and severe judgment. So on the surface, it looks like the face-off between Elijah and Ahab, it's going down right now. (laughs) We're not gonna wait until we get to chapter 18. We're not gonna wait for that showdown that we might be versed with, but we are gonna deal with this now. Ahab is not gonna stand for this, but what happens next is totally counterintuitive. So God calls Elijah. I want you to say this to Ahab. It looks like maybe Ahab and Elijah are gonna go at it right now, but then you get to verse number three. What does God say to Elijah? All right, Look at it. Get the hints. God's saying this to Elijah. Get the hints and turn eastward and what's the next word? Hide. Hold on, folks. Does that make any sense? This is the time to, to redirection Israel. You've already told them the judgment's coming. Now, Elijah, maybe you should tell them how to get back on track and avoid the judgment. But instead, God says, after you tell Ahab, this is what's gonna happen, I need you to head east and I want you to go into hiding. Does that make any sense whatsoever? I want you to go by yourself, by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan, I want you to think about this for a minute. If you were Elijah, you might be thinking, man, this doesn't make any sense. God has called me to proclaim to Ahab the coming judgment. Elijah's thinking I'm a prophet. My job is to confront evil and I'm standing toe to toe with Ahab right now. And you're telling me it's time to go into hiding. Doesn't make any sense. For many Christians, one of the most difficult commands in scripture is to hide the command to get alone, get away from people, remain hidden and not be able to chip away at your to do list. How awful is that? For some of you, this this to do list is always dangling over my crazy head. I cannot sleep at night because I have so much to do. And you're telling me I got to get away. I got to take a break. I don't have time to get away. That's for the luxuries of later on. I don't, I don't have that privilege right now. No, 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 no. Sometimes one of the hardest things that we have to hear from God is the need to take rest. We talked about this a couple Wednesday nights ago. And I want to say this. If you are a doer this morning, getting away from everything and everyone, that's not going to set well with you. I imagine that Elijah was a doer we're gonna see as we study his life this summer how, how that is true, but now you understand a little bit why this must have knocked Elijah over when he heard those words, I need you to go and hide, get away, go by yourself. And now you're asking, hopefully, well, why would God tell him to do that? God told Elijah to do so, and it reminds us as well sometimes that we need to swallow our pride, we need to swallow our ego, and as God told Elijah, sometimes we need to go live by the brook. Sometimes we don't willfully choose to get away. Sometimes sickness kicks into our bodies. You ever been there where you've done so much that your body says, it's time to stop? You get sick, you get exhausted, you feel awful, you ever been there? Sometimes your body has enough sense to tell you you're doing too much. Sometimes we're nearing burnout and we recognize it. Other times God steps in and demands this break. Hear me. Why is God demanding this of Elijah? Why does he demand it of us sometimes? The answer is quite simple. Because before God can do great things through you, he must do great things in you. And what Elijah is doing is entering into a season of preparation. If you want to think of it in military terms since it's Memorial Day, think of it as a boot camp of sorts. It's not going to be fun. It's going to stress Elijah out as he's still thinking about the fact that, yeah, I went to the brook Cherith, I've done what God called me to do, but I still have this confrontation with Ahab. My checklist, my to-do list, still hanging over my head, hasn't gone anywhere, but it is going to be necessary Before we can get into chapter 18 and see the confrontation between Ahab and Elijah. So I want to tell you this. As we get into this study, I just want to share with you a couple thoughts this morning. The times of preparation, the times of getting away, the times of, of just being alone between yourself and God is vitally necessary and is oftentimes stages of preparation that are going to lead us to something that we never even thought God could do through us. So what does it look like? Well, here's what stages of preparation produce. You ready? Number one, preparations produce dependency. Look at verse number two. Now watch this. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. So God sends Elijah to a specific place for a specific purpose, and Elijah is instructed to go to a ravine named Cherith. Now, this is no accident God didn't close his eyes and point at a map and say, I want you to go there. This was an intentional choice to go to this place simply knowing that the name Cherith means to cut off or to cut down. It carries the idea of being cut off from the source. Now, if you think about it this way, I want you to picture in your mind a massive flourishing tree with an amazing root system and somebody coming along, taking an ax, lopping it off from the roots, totally chopping it down. What's going to happen? That tree's going to die. It has been cut off from the nutrition that's needed to survive. Why? Because that tree was dependent on the root system to give it it its life. Now, can we, I don't know, this is is a tough question, so I'm going to ask you to be honest in your mind. Do we ever catch ourselves priding ourselves on being self-dependent? I like the idea of I don't have to rely on other people. I like the idea of I am where I am in my career because look at me, I've made I've done this. I made this. Nobody helped me. I worked. I put in the hours. I have, I have hit the grind every single day, maybe seven days a week, maybe 12, 14 hours a day. Look at the life that I have built. A lot of people really pride themselves on the self-dependency of getting things done We like being our own source of provision. I like my salary. I like the education that supports the raises that I have gotten. We have our resources, but the one thing we don't like, a lot of times, is having to ask help from other people. It's kind of hard sometimes to receive help, isn't it? It's kind of humbling at times to realize that yeah, I I could really use a hand here. Don't want to admit that I'm struggling. And so it's challenging. It's a very humbling place when we realize that our self sufficiency has come to an end. And then we realize we have to rely on someone else to get through. We've been chopped off. But this is exactly what God is doing to Elijah. He's brought him to a place where he's going to totally cut him off from all other sources. Why? Because his desire is before you go toe to toe with Ahab. You need to realize your dependency is not on your awesomeness. It's not on your name. It's not on your title as prophet. It has nothing to do with anything that you've done so far. Your dependency in in having victory over Ahab must be deep-seated in the power and the grace that God is going to give you nothing more, nothing less. Has God ever brought you to the brook, Cherith? And you have no clue what God is up to. And maybe you're even thinking, does he even care right now? You were just saying a statement in in that last song. I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. What an amazing, how many of you can testify to that truth that when you may be at a brook where it feels like I've been cut off from everything, I'm not even sure where God is right now, this is a tough time, you've realized in that moment, I have no clue where God is taking me, but when I look back in my mind over my relationship for how many decades I've realized God has always remained faithful and this instance is no different. Maybe God's preparing us for something. Maybe God's saying, I'm doing something in you that I might do something through you, but you got to get a little preparation under your belt before we can do this. Greater things are down the road. Trust me. Rely on me. Depend on me. And for man, listen, look, 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 look. For us, how many of you really enjoy the idea of relying on other people to meet our needs? How many of us pride ourselves on self-dependency and it really makes it tough to trust God, especially when we have no clue as to what in the world he's doing in my life? A.W. Tozer said this, it is doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. And you're thinking, that doesn't make any sense. I don't even like the way that sounds. But if you think militarily, and those of you that... We thank this morning for serving our country. Boot camp stunk, did it not? I don't speak from firsthand experience, but I've heard testimonies about the the awfulness and the intensity of boot camp, but only to realize that it was a necessary period of preparation. Dependency on your superior is what's being nailed down there. Hey, can I tell you before we even get to the showdown, God is teaching Elijah this is a dependency issue. you got to stop trying to figure this all out on your own. you got to stop thinking you have all the answers because you don't. Dependency on God is where he's leading him to. Now you look at verse 4. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So Elijah went and he did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. So not only does preparation produce dependency, but now we find that preparation produces provision, that God's going to meet our needs. And so with great hurt comes awesome opportunities to see God provide, so our dependency, my dependency, is only as reliable as the one who promises to care for me. So God promises Elijah that I will meet your needs and the ravens are going to be his catering service. Now, what do they bring? The birds are going to be, bring bread and meat in the mornings. They're going to do it again in the evenings. And then with any meal, you have to have something to wash it down. And where did God strategically place them? by an amazing brook to have something to drink. Now, I love this thought. Notice the time frame that God has promised to provide. Once in the morning, once in the evening. Can I tell you this? God has promised to provide Elijah the provisions he needs one day at a time. Just stay faithful today. I'm going to provide for you today Don't worry about tomorrow. What does James say? Don't worry about tomorrow because we don't know what a day may hold. Stay faithful today. Allow God to meet our needs today. Morning and evening. See, part of the dependency on God is learning that we have to live life one day at a time. I trust God. I depend on God today. And then when I wake up tomorrow, I wake up to do mercies. And that day, I'm going to trust God morning and evening. Then on Tuesday, I repeat the cycle. We have the responsibility and the privilege to serve a God who promises to provide one day at a time. Now, William Elliott wrote a book called For the Living of These Days, and he said this, the reason so many of us are overwrought, we're tense, we're distracted, and we're anxious is that we've never mastered the art of living one day at a time. Physically, we do live one day at a time i know we realize that we don't have a choice right i'm living right now i can't affect what's going to happen in the future certainly can't change the past i am living one day at a time physically and he goes on to say we can't quite help ourselves but mentally we live in all three tenses at once and he says that will not work but again i'm gonna ask you how many of us do that all the time See, it's sitting right here, right now. I I know, especially if you're the Elijah's of the room, you're the doers, you're thinking about what you didn't get done yesterday, what you need to do today, knowing that tomorrow you might have people coming over, and that, that sets you in a tailspin of more anxiety, because as you think about tomorrow, you're thinking, I didn't get anything done yesterday, today's not looking much better, tomorrow I have people coming over, I'm not ready for that, and what happens? living in all three tenses simultaneously produces anxiety it produces stress it's utter chaos in your mind and then you're trying to figure out why can't i sleep at night why am i so stressed and i want you to remember how god has met the need of elijah is this living one day at a time and so what god is doing in his life is simply this he is reinforcing That old cliche that is used in church often where God guides, he, how do you finish that statement? He provides. What an amazing experience this must have been for Elijah. And I want to say this, because I think that this is a biblical truth and a biblical principle that we need to establish, but (laughs) now I'm I'm second-guessing this one on the spot. If you're vegetarian, I don't understand you. <laughs> um, and I know people have different things and different reasons and, and so forth, but notice this. You'd have been really, really hungry at the brook if you were on God's nutrition or dietary plan for sure. That's not saying there's a biblical principle. I just thought it was a kind of funny side note. And I, you saw me debate it on this by the spot of the machine. Should I say it or should I not? All right, it's out. God provided regardless, is the point. But what else does preparation do? Number three, preparation produces obedience. Look at verse seven. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had not been any rain in the land and the word of the lord came unto him saying arise get thee to zarephath which belongeth to zidon and dwell there behold i have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee so the first thing that you realize is we don't know how long is israel elijah stayed at the side of this brook we know that the bible says that he came to live there which kind of hints towards a prolonged stay of preparation But now when you get to verse seven, the worst news possible comes up, right? His source of water is dry. Due to the drought that Elijah pronounced, he has nothing to drink. Nothing's worse than having a meal and not being able to wash it down. Nothing's worse than being in a restaurant and you're parched and you don't even wanna take another bite of your food because you don't have anything to drink, that's awful. And this is exactly what's happening to Elijah. Now, we need to pause here real quick. If we are in Elijah's shoes, where would our mind be going at this moment? Now, please stay with me. We're going to land the plane. Please stay with me. If you are in Elijah's shoes, where is your mind in this moment? What are you thinking? What questions are you asking? God has led him there. He has morning and evening given him the provisions necessary for this preparation time. Dependency is understood. Provision has been witnessed. And now all of a sudden that which has provided provision is gone. Sure, the food is still coming, the meat and the bread is still coming, but I have nothing to drink. Can you imagine the difficulty that Elijah is probably warring within his mind questioning whether or not God even loves him? Lord, are you, are you done with me? Are you, are you not gonna provide anymore? Are you not faithful any longer? Maybe, maybe you felt this way. God, did I do something wrong? Did I deserve, what, show, what did I do? What's with the brook thing? Why, why you brought me here? Did you bring me here to die? How many times did Israel ask that question? Did you bring me out here just to die? I don't understand what you're doing. I don't get it. I wonder this morning if we can relate with that. See, we used to think that we could ro- rely on our job. And for some of us, we're in a position where we can't even trust that anymore. The security might be up in the air. God, what are you doing? Do, are you, am I being judged? Did I do something wrong? I am living day to day right now, but also thinking there could be a morning that I wake up and find that pink slip or have that important call to my boss's office and realize that job that I thought was once secure is not any longer. God, what are you doing right now? You used to trust your 401k or your savings account and realize that brook's drying up. I used to trust people and realize, well, that brook dries up as well too. Can't trust people anymore. Maybe the brook of your marriage is drying up. That relationship has grown stale. Because here's the truth. The same God that can fill the brook also is sovereign enough to empty it. But sometimes he does so to move us on to something better, which is what's happening in Elijah's, Elijah's life. So the brook chair, that was pretty cold. The birds, the, the bread, great stuff. The water from the brook, really tasty, but that's off the table now, literally. So look at verse number nine. He says, Arise, get to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon and dwell there. And behold, I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Well, that's good. So what does Elijah do? Very next verse. His time of preparation instilled in him the necessity to obey. Very next verse. So Elijah got up and he went. There was no hesitation. We see no scriptural proof where he's debating with God. I kind of liked it here. I was kind of comfortable here. The bread, it got a little old at times, but it was fine. The meat, you know, I I could use a little bit different of a seasoning, but we'll go with it. The water was fantastic. My relationship with you has been excellent. Why did we have to move? This This has been just fine. Well, God has bigger plans in store for Elijah. So this puts Elijah, though, in an interesting spot. Do I trust in what God is telling me to do? Do I trust and do what God is telling me, but I don't understand? Do I leave? Do I stay? And Elijah obeys. So as he does, he comes into the city. He meets a widow woman who's there gathering sticks. And he calls her and says, listen, I've been traveling. Would you get me something to drink? It's been a while since I've had a cool, refreshing glass of water. I need something to drink. And she agrees. And as she walks away, he also says, hey, can you get me something to eat as well? Now, again, the cultural implications here are a little bit more detailed, but if we just think this kind of on a surface level, how crazy is that for a total stranger to come into town and request of a woman for something to eat, something to drink? Well, listen, you know, the 7-Elevens and McDonald's, they didn't exist at the time. Hospitality meant caring for somebody that you didn't know, but... Something about the request for food grabs her attention. She spins around. She looks at Elijah right in the face and says this. I have enough ingredients for one last meal. I was preparing for that right now. My son and I are going to eat this last meal, and our plans are pretty detailed. We are going to eat, and then we die because we have nothing left. I wonder, and again, the text doesn't address this, but I wonder if Elijah's thinking I did that. That was on me. That's, that's my I pronounced this drought, but Elijah's answer was what? Don't be afraid, carry on with your plans, but make me something to eat first and then make for you and your son. Moms, how many of you would subscribe to that plan? This stranger is saying, make him something to eat, get him something to drink, serve him first before you care for yourself and your kids. You moms in the room are thinking that's, that's not a chance. My kid will get food. I I know moms are always thinking, my family will eat even before I sit down. And this mom, I imagine, is back on her heels thinking, who is this guy coming here making demands like that? He's got something wrong with him if he thinks that he's going to eat before we do. This is it for us. We're done. (laughs) So Elijah continues, and he makes a promise. God is going to provide more ingredients until that rain comes back. Because that was the issue at hand all right look at verse 15 and she went and she did according to the saying of elijah and she and he and her house did eat many days and the barrel of meal was wasted not neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the lord which he spake by elijah so here's the awesome promise in the moment god will take care of the ingredients if you take care of the obedience I mean, think about what an awesome opportunity that would have been missed if this lady said forget you i'm starving he's starving you can figure it out on your own hit a different drive through but that's not the way this plays out this is the preparation this could not have been taught at the brook cherith elijah had to move himself into an unfamiliar territory with a total stranger to learn that i will obey and in my obedience god will always supply the ingredients It may have been by crazy birds and bread that falls from the sky, or it might have been through a widow woman who felt like she was at her wit's end. And notice what happens. Not only does he eat, but she does as well. See, our obedience is contagious. And when one person obeys what God says, that obedience influences the lives around him. That woman's life is changed until the day that first drop of rain falls from the sky. And so here's how I'd like to end this, because we're we're just beginning a a series on this Elijah study. You know what I love about this is when you go into the New Testament, there's a phrase that is used that said, Elijah was just a man like us. Now think about that. No, well, he was a prophet of God. Okay, maybe he has a leg up, but we have God's word just as well as he does. And we like to think that Elijah and all of these guys are these. Um, people that we kind of hold in high regard and and really, uh, I mean, that was Elijah. That was pretty cool, but I'm down here. I'm not, no, 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 that's not the way it is. The Bible specifically calls Elijah, who is subject to like passions is the way the scripture uses it. If we change that term just a little bit more, he was just a man like us. So here's how I'd like to end this this morning with you. And again, I, I know that we have travels coming up. I know that things are getting crazy as we enter into the summer months. But I'm going to encourage you to stay faithful in this, in this series. And as we prepare ourselves for this study in Elijah, here's the way I'd like to invite you to respond. You know, There may be some here that are, that are present. Maybe there's people online that feel absolutely chopped down. Um. Feel like life is just absolutely beaten at you. <laughs> you might be living at the Brook Cherith and, and it's hurting. It's difficult. And you think, what in the world is happening right now? Everywhere I turn, I feel like I'm getting pummeled. Can we be reminded this morning that God sometimes does so in order that we might depend on Him and nothing else? He allows life to pound on us. So our attention is no longer to the left or to the right, but it's up. And it's not easy. It's definitely not diminishing the pain and the hurt and the struggle and the fatigue and all of the other things that are, that are associated with those seasons. But listen to me, no trial, no suffering goes without purpose. Maybe God's placed some of us in a season that is causing us to depend, to depend on him greater, not knowing what the future may, may hold. But it's not just that chopped down aspect, but there may be someone here today or online who feel like, man, I'm out of resources. Can we be reminded that when we get to that point, as stressful as it might be, that God does sometimes allow that brook to dry up so that he can provide for us by some other means? But hear me, remember the promise. We obey, it's our obedience, and it's God's ingredient. You know, finally this morning, there may be some here, there may be some online. You know that God's looking for you to obey, maybe with a specific step of faithfulness. I don't know what it is. And there may be some anxiety and some nerves that are about. Can we be reminded that God will always handle those ingredients if we handle the obedience? But as a church, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to join me in praying for God to do something supernatural through us in this church. I know this morning has been long. I get that. But I I don't, I don't know how else to say this. If this is how we look to God, that we are salt that is cooped up in a jar, I mean, is that what God looks at the church and sees a bunch of salt sitting in a room contained within these walls making zero impact for the glory of God? I don't, I've don't. i prayed about this. I, I, I honestly and sincerely can tell you that, that I believe that this type of Christianity is not what Jesus was teaching in Matthew 5. I don't even think we have to pray hard about that. But folks in a city where in just a couple days we are going to see a celebration on our main street, celebrating something specifically outlining a sin called pride, and I'm not saying that we get hateful. I'm not saying that we're going to go posters and, and bullhorns and be stupid about it. But I'm also going to say this I don't, I don't know what else to do unless we teach the truth in love. And where there are no Elijahs, there's no message that's going out. It's this it's powerless, it's cooped up, and it benefits nobody. I don't know about you, but I'm not on board with seeing people who are making some prideful decisions and are boasting about it, knowing that they'll spend eternity separated from God. I'm not okay with that. It's not even their sin so much that breaks my heart as the fact that every one of those people who are sinners are just like us, sinners, but they need to hear the truth of the gospel. But here we are as, as believers and we're thinking, I, I got this all, it's all cooped up. We cooped it up at Ashland on Sunday. Man, we did a great job worshiping and, and, and Ariana did a fantastic job on the drums. And we, we... Am, I, am I crazy? I don't Maybe I feel crazy now because you're looking at me kind of weird and I'm just kind of sharing my heart. But as I'm getting into this study of Elijah and I'm trying to read forward, the confrontation with the sinfulness of the world is going to happen in chapter 18, and I pray that this morning might be a chapter 17 for our church. So I don't know. I don't know what that looks like, but I want, you to, I want you to ask yourself, are you ready to stop hoarding all of our salt and our light and start dispensing it to the city? Do we really want to see God use this church for an eternal impact, or are we okay with where we're at? Now, I'm going to give you a disclaimer. In just a moment, we're going to stand and Jonathan's going to play. And if you join me in praying that God would do something supernatural, if maybe those other three applications do not hit home, you don't feel like you're being chopped down, you don't feel like you're out of resources, you don't feel like there's a next step of obedience, that's all well and good. But if you would pray with me that God would do something supernatural through us in this church, here's the disclaimer, here's the warning, the small print at the bottom of the contract that you never read, but maybe we ought to, here it is. Knowing that if you join us in prayer, that it also serves as an open-ended invitation for God to take us through sometimes a challenging and hurtful season of preparation. Know that at the outset. We might be willing to be used of God and God says you're not quite there yet let me prepare you and sometimes it hurts sometimes it's rough, sometimes it's challenging but overall it's always worth it. God will make that prep time worth it. So would you do this with me? Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, I pray right now that as we get into this study of Elijah, that maybe you are bringing our church into a time of preparation. Lord, as I was getting ready for this, I was thinking, I know that today there's going to be a lot of people traveling. I know that if we were to look at this simply from a statistical point of view, the timing of this message is is so bad That, God, we we look at this and think, what are you doing? We're we're in that same boat that Elijah was. Lord, what are you doing? Why are we starting this series today? We're starting it because I believe it's a step of faith and a step of obedience because this is where you've led us. God, this is where you directed my heart and preparation and leading this church. And, God, we know that, that your timing is always perfect. And so, Lord, whether individuals are online, whether we're here in this room God, I pray that you might rise up Elijah's from this group. Father, that we would not be content with the direction of our country, that we might not be content with the fact that the sinfulness of man is becoming much more obvious and visible. And that's all it is. It's man behaving like man is going to do because we're crazy, sinful people. But God, as much as we disagree with the sin that's being committed with the pride that is on display. Lord, I pray that you might give us a heart for souls. Stop expecting them to act like something that they are not. Lord, we admit this morning that sometimes we struggle to act like who we are as as believers in Christ, and yet we expect the unsaved world to act like that. That's crazy. Certainly not biblical thinking. But God, we know that right thinking only comes through the truth of God's Word and the usage of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that we would not be satisfied. I'm sure that we're not. But God, I pray that we would not be content with being light bulbs with no power, that we would be salt shakers that are not being dispensed. God, we are of no city and no kingdom good when we're not willing to be an Elijah. And Lord, I pray that this study this summer might light a fire underneath us to be used of God in an amazing way. He was a normal man, not uniquely gifted per se, but had a call on his life that he obeyed, he depended on you, and he watched you provide. God, may that be the testimony of this church that we obey, we depend, and then we watch you provide. So church, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I I pray that you can sense the urgency in this topic. And I don't know, maybe one of the first three applications hit home, but if nothing else, I'm going to ask, and if this is not your church home, that's fine, that's, that's totally fine, but as a believer, as a brother or a sister in Christ, then this time of response is more than open for you as well. I'm going to ask that you join me in praying this morning that God would raise up Elijahs who are, who are not content with seeing unbelievers spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell, that we're not content with, with just seeing some, some growth in a church, but God, we are, going to be, we are going to be committing to be in the salt and the light of the world that you've called us to be. so, Father, I pray that right now the Holy Spirit might do a move in our hearts. God, if we have become comfortable, if we have become complacent, God, I pray that that sin might be confessed, that you might usher us into a time of preparation and then a time of great kingdom usefulness. As a church with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, as Jonathan plays, would you stand to your feet with me? Would you join me, please? It's enough... It's time that we just stop talking about that which is right and we start engaging others with the truth in love. It's not easy, but God will provide when our dependency and our trust and our obedience is directed towards Him. And so what that might look like in your individual life, I don't know. I can't make those applications for you, but what I can ask you to do this morning is would you pray with me that you might be a salt that is emptied out for the betterment of others, that you might be the light in your world that God can use to introduce others to Christ at work, with employers, with employees, with coworkers, at school, on campus, when that time rolls around, when you're at lunch today, that we might be the light that God has called us to be. And so as Jonathan plays, I'm gonna ask, would you you just be willing to pray? Would you spend time alone with God? Maybe sin needs to be confessed. Maybe commitment needs to be made. And let's see God do something supernatural in us and through our church. Father, right now we commit this time to you. God, I'm done. I, I'm not going to say anything more. I, I believe we're on the, right on the edge of stepping over into man-made guilt, and that's not where we're going. So Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would do a work in our lives. God, may we see revival in this church, not because we sang a cool song, not because of the the, the emotional videos that have been been shown. God, that we might see revival at Ashland because we are obedient, we're dependent on you, we are seeking your provision, and God, we need you to to see revival. We cannot create it, so we ask for it. God, in the meantime, we're gonna evangelize, we're gonna to recommit to getting the gospel out the best that we can. So Holy Spirit, would you please do a move in our hearts as we commit this time of response, this invitation to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, I'm done, believe it or not, I'm done. Would you respond as the Holy Spirit moves in your hearts? Thank you so much for joining us today. We trust our time together has been encouraging to you and your walk with the Lord. Listed below are a couple of links that might be of interest to you. If you have any more questions about Ashland, would like to financially support the ministries here, or would just like to get into contact with us, please follow the first link below. More importantly, if you have any questions concerning your eternity, we would love to connect with you and answer any questions you might have biblically. If you have those questions, please click the second link below as well. Again, we pray that our time together has been encouraging to you. If it has been, would you be sure to click the like button, subscribe to our channel, and then share across all of your social media platforms the content that you've received from Ashland. Know this, that we love you, and we appreciate you being with us, and we hope to see you again real soon.